Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Jared Pope, who is the founder and CEO of WorkShield. And WorkShield is the only best practices solution for workplace harassment and discrimination for conscientious modern workplaces. More than just a reporting platform, WorkShield's qualified and experienced professionals also conduct impartial incident investigations and provide a clear path to resolution in about five days or less. In this episode, Jared talks about how he started this company, what he's done to grow it along the way, why this is such an important issue, and how WorkShield is really empowering their employees with a real voice, removing corporate liability, and creating better company cultures that are more diverse, inclusive, and equal. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review. Without further ado, here is Jared Pope, the founder and CEO of WorkShield. Jared, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, glad to glad to talk. Yes, and with your journey, there's a lot to go go through. And I think what would be really helpful for people to begin with is with WorkShield. Can I can you give a little bit of an overview of what WorkShield is, and then we'll go into how it got started. Sure. So, you know, to give you a little bit of background about myself, I'm a HR benefits, ERISA employment attorney, and I often say I'm a recovering attorney. Uh, <laughs> Some people just don't like attorneys. Um, but that being said, WorkShield was really started out of the Me Too movement. And with Harvey Weinstein and what happened there, I, I kind of just t- took a look and said, how do we solve this problem? And how do, we, how do we really help employers, help employees? How do we drive culture to be better? And how, how more importantly, how come the system doesn't work today? Because it's broken. And when I took a step back and really started thinking about, okay, what's the current system? What are things in place today that most employers are doing? Is it correct? Is it not? And what I found out is really a lot of people, we, we look at any type of workplace harassment or workplace discrimination issue as there's gotta be a full process to it. There's got to be the intake, there's got to be the investigation, and there's got to be resolution. And what we found out was there were a lot of people doing the intake, but they weren't really efficient or doing anything properly on the investigation and the resolution. And what WorkShield does overall, to put it bluntly, is we not only give employees a voice to be heard, to make sure truly their voice is heard, but we partner with employers as well to say, hey, we'll not only do the intake, but we'll help you. We'll do the whole investigation and the resolution. And oh, by the way, we typically get it done in less than five days. That's such an efficient system and obviously needed given the current environment and just where everything is going and understanding that these are issues that just haven't been addressed properly, like you said, in the past. When you had the idea for this and understand the need for it, what did you see as kind of the initial version of WorkShield and what that might look like? Well, you know, given my background, I look at a lot of things is very benefit focused. And generally speaking, HR and the individuals in HR are the ones that typically handle the intake. They are the ones that if someone does call that anonymous hotline, guess where it goes right back to? It goes back to HR. Yeah. We already know, generally speaking, HR, they're overworked, they're underpaid, they got 9,000 other things to do. And if I'm sitting there as an employee going, hey, do I really feel comfortable calling that anonymous hotline if I know it's going to go back to HR or it's going to go back to my manager or supervisor to investigate? And it's no wonder that 75% of the issues that happen, they don't get reported and they don't get reported because of fear. And that's the fear of retaliation. It's the fear of being ridiculed. It's the fear of, Hey, is this just going to be swept under the rug or Hey, am I going to lose my job? And so when you have this fear-based society uh, and even with the EOC and the stats out there, we all know like "Ah, anonymous hotlines. Okay, whatever. We we know where it goes back to and are they really going to handle it? And so being that benefits type focus and looking at HR, I said, okay, how can we take this off their plate? Because 98% of the companies out there have some form of process that says, Hey, if you've been harassed or discriminated against, go to your supervisor, go to your manager, go to HR or call that hotline, which you and I both know 
we know exactly where that goes back to. Yeah. And so does everybody else. It goes back to HR or the, or the person doing the issue because 80% of the time, it's generally that manager or supervisor who's doing the harassment or the discrimination. And it, so in thinking about that, I said, okay, how do we change this problem? How do we change it? How do we fix the broken system? And to, to put it, there's kind of several ways to think about this. If for those that are familiar with the healthcare system, uh, some people look at this as an uh, HMO type model, where we just took an HMO model, we put a fixed capitated uh, per employee per month fee on it uh, and applied it to the HR and legal industry. And some people kind of say we commoditize the legal industry um, by putting this whole thing together. And so the other way you can think about WorkShield and kind of how do we take it off their plate, one very similar role is with telehealth. Yeah. You know, when telehealth first started, people were like, whoa, wait, wait, you want me to call a doctor on a phone? <laughs> it was such this simple idea. And most people were like, no, I need to, I need to go wait 30 minutes in the waiting room. I need to go then go back to the patient room and wait another 40 minutes. And I'm going to see my doctor for maybe if I'm lucky, six minutes. Yeah. And, you know, when telemedicine and teledoc and telehealth all started, you know, you look at it today, you can't buy a healthcare plan or policy without telemedicine in it. And so I kind of looked at that same approach and said, hey, it's no wonder we're not solving this problem because we're, we're stuck in the old ways. We're stuck in the days of, you know, oh yeah, well, we just have this hotline, so just call it. And most people look at that as, oh, it's a check the box compliance. And so when you think about today and where we are in society and, you know, not only with Me Too, but you look at George Floyd and BLM and, you know, what we just saw two days ago, um, Jacob Blake and, you know, and then you take on the Supreme Court decision with the LGBTQ, then you also have Title IX and what's going on there. There's got to be a new way. Um, and we can't just rely on the old the old system of, hey, I'm going to have a check a box compliance with a with an anonymous hotline. No, you actually have to have a solution. And part of that solution starts with making sure the employee's voice is heard. But it also you can't stop there. Once you hear the voice, you have to make sure that the investigation, there's a clear path to resolution on every single incident. And I think that's where Workshop, we perfected that model um, and we're disrupting a big industry doing it. Yeah, and that, that second part of it, like the actual solution to the problem, it's one thing to gather the data and hear people and like at least have that, like, okay, here's the incidents that are happening, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to actually solve those problems or, or address them in some capacity. For you guys at WorkShield then, in the beginning, how, would you, how did you acquire like your first few users, first few companies to, to use WorkShield? I'm curious about that because obviously it's, there's a need for it, but how did you go about acquiring those first few people for the platform? You, you know, uh, there's that often phrase of, would you rather be good or lucky? And especially in golf, for example, <laughs> and a lot of people say, I'd rather be lucky than good. Yeah. And, you know, there's a little bit of that and uh, there's a story to it, but I also think, and we were talking a little bit about this of, you know, our connections, our relationships. Yeah. And I think God sometimes is a funny person. And there's a lot of things that happen in our life when we look back and say, well, okay, now I see the path. I see why I made that relationship or why they came into my life. And so being a, an attorney, I, you know, I had my own law firm. I've, I've been, I was a practicing attorney for geez, 15, 16 years, but about 10 years ago, I had my own firm and started on my own and have always been kind of this entrepreneur type. I've always been one to say, Hey, I'm probably my best boss yeah. um, versus someone else. And I was with a client and I, I read this article um, that a, a client of mine sent to me. And that's what really what got me starting to think about, wait, how do we solve this problem? This harassment me too problem, uh, which now it's even, it's grown to more than that. And so I was in Chicago and with a client, um, and his, his name is Walt Fawcett. And so he was a client of my uh, law firm. It's a group called the Plexus Group. And, and I had this idea and I was sitting down. He invited me up to, he had his big team building uh, meeting. He invited me up. And so I went up there and we're having dinner. And I said, hey, Walt, and, I, and I've known Walt for 
at that time, probably eight years. And so I said, hey, Walt, I, I have an idea for you because he's also somewhat of a mentor and I, I like his story. And so I said, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What are your thoughts? And I'll tell you what, I've never seen him get so excited about, <laughs> about anything sometimes. And he literally just said, Jared, I love it. I'll be your first client. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, uh, this is fantastic. You're solving a problem and no one else is doing this. And I said, oh, okay. And at that point, you're kind of like really excited, but then you're like, wait, I need to go ask someone else. And so that was literally January 31st of 2018. And so February 1st, the next night, I had another dinner with another client of mine. And their two names are Ed and Andy. They're two brothers and also in Chicago. And I'm at dinner with them and I said, hey, Ed, Andy, I have this idea. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. And told them the idea about WorkShield at the time. And they too said, no one else is doing this. I'll be your first client. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I kind of thought to myself at the time, okay, we're on to something. We're really, really on to something. And so I flew home the next day, walked in our house and told my wife, Jennifer, and I said, hey, I got this idea. We're going to start this company called WorkShield. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll, you know, I'll tell you where the parts I need help with, but I think it's going to be a pretty good solution. And she just kind of looked at me and kind of rolled her eyes and said, okay, great. <laughs> and then almost, you know, two and a half, three or 30 months later, uh, more, more than 30 months later, um, here we are. And, you know, we started the company technically, I think it's February 17th or February 18th, uh, 2018. Um, and we're going strong. And, and so we started it. And what well, you may be asking, so which one was your first client? Was it, <laughs> was it Walt or Ed and Andy? And, and the answer is none of them. And because someone beat them to it. And the funny story is, so I, I, did, I did a lot of thought and did a lot of actuarial analysis. And okay, how do we make this work? And so um, a friend of mine named Brian got, he's a lawyer as well. He got one of his clients on the phone and said, hey, I really think you need to hear about WorkShield. And this was right after we kind of built the built the platform. We were just going to go out and start marketing the product. So it, it took about you know four to six months on the build side of it, and really trying to get everything down. And so I'm on the phone, and the CFO says, "Okay, wait. You're going to not only do the intake, but also do the investigation, and you're going to make sure there's a resolution. And if we do this, we give our employees a voice that's heard." You help mitigate our corporate risk, but more importantly, you make sure our employees feel safe and you're, you're driving that culture element and you're doing it for $2 PEPM. He's like, this is a no brainer. Sign me up. Send me the paperwork. He goes, I'm done. <laughs> I literally hung up the phone and I called Brian and I said, Hey, what? I don't have my service agreement drafted yet. I need to get this going today. Yeah. So they were our first client. It's a, a client that's based out of California and uh, long story short. So that's really how it started. And it's, I, I, it goes back to this idea of a lot of people have some good ideas and, but not a lot of people act on it. And uh, I'm a big, I'm sure you kind of are too, uh, how I built this. Oh yeah. Yep. And it's kind of that question of, Hey, was this luck? or opportunity or you know they ask that question all the time and i think here and i think everybody has a great idea the question becomes do they act upon it and i was just tired of having good ideas and i just said i'm going to go with it and i just kept my head down and kept going and it's interesting to see that you i mean you had your your law firm before you it looks like you started some other things as well prior to that and get to this point where you you have an idea that just makes a lot of sense and a lot you know you could say the stars align per se of of the environment where we're in and it, it being such a clear value add to companies and that's we had talked you know, a while back and it was like oh i love what you're doing with this because it, it makes a lot of sense and then you have these these couple of calls couple of meetings with people they're like yeah this is a solution i i would need one thing I want to go back to, because especially in this particular show, uh, the details on things are, are important and helpful for people because especially other entrepreneurs, when they have an idea like, okay, yeah. Oh, so they got like a couple hundred thousand in funding and they did this and built this thing. Oh, boom, they're successful. But I like to go into the details behind that a little bit more. In those four to six months of building this out, do you, I mean, who, who was building this out? How did you find the technical skill to 
develop what this product was going to be, first of all, I, I want to start there. Well, I think first it, it kind of to take it a little back back further is, sure. you know, uh, failure is great. You know, you want to fail fast and you want to learn fast. And I often say I've failed successfully uh, before. I've been successful, but I've also failed successfully. And those are the ones where I learned the most. And so when I when I had this idea, came back and it took about four to six months, you know, it's really like, okay, with technology, the way it is today, you can build your own platform without necessarily having a master's degree in, in coding. Right. Especially now. Yeah. Especially today, you know, even two years ago, th three years ago, um, and it's just getting better and better and better. And um, so I kind of found a platform and I said, okay, this is what I needed to do. This is the way I needed to work. This is, you know, it's got to be secure. It's got to be HIPAA secured. It's, it's got to have the right qualities to it. And so... I just kind of dove right in and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can build this myself. Um, because a lot of it came down to, okay, who do I want to bring in? Who do I not want to bring in? Um, who do I want to help build this? And that age old question, how much equity am I going to give up if I have to go get someone to come in and, and build it? And right. kind of just said, you know, I've learned a lot and I'm going to see if I can do this up into a point kind of by myself. But I will say there's two people that really helped out along the way. And one of those was, my really good friend, Travis Foster, he's our chief legal officer. So he and I worked together at Baker Botts and then Brian Calhoun and Cal Brian is, I mentioned his name earlier. He's the managing partner of the firm that we work with that does the investigation. And, yeah. you know, I sat down with both of them probably two or three times every day and said, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. This is how we're going to work it. This is the pricing model. Um, and then just reaching out to my friends, my connections, those people that God, placed in my life that all of a sudden came to light to say, oh, that's the reason why they were in my path. Let me go back and just tap into that knowledge. Yeah. And to that point, then did you end up using, I mean, just to get the details, like there's so many things that you can use to build sites now. And so that's, you know, that has something I want to highlight because there's a lot of things you can do, whether you have technical skills or not. We're using like a WordPress, like a Webflow, like a, what, what kind of a... It was basically like a Webflow as part of, you know, you, you look at the website builders and you can add yeah. in platforms. And so part of it, whether it's Wix or I think Square was out at that time, if I recall correctly, there were some beta aspects there. Yeah, it's I started looking at them and just said, okay, this is the, the form I'm going to use. And you know, I will say, <laughs> thank goodness we did bring on more technology. We, we <laughs> brought on, you know, uh, a CIO, CTO person and and really took the platform to a much better uh, place. But at the time, you know, with limited budget, with limited sources, I'm funding everything. My wife and I are funding the whole project. Um, we had to go with kind of, hey, this works. We know we're going to need to change it later, but we'll accomplish that when we get there. And that's great to hear because that's, I think it's helpful for people, especially when they're getting started. It seems so overwhelming to build something and you understand that, wait, WorkShield is this company that's made a lot of progress, done a lot of things, and they started that way. So it, yeah, I love hearing those those types of stories, Jared. And and to that point too, like early on with this platform, understanding you have, you're going to have this thing where you're going to take all the, you're going to do all the intakes for these companies and also solve this problem, getting, like, solve their issues and everything on the back end. Then how did you find, so that firm that you worked with then to kind of address these issues then was that uh contact you had before or take me through like how that integrated into everything you wanted to offer to companies with with, with workshield i think this is the other part where you know workshield where we, we leverage technology uh and we make sure there's a human element uh to every issue because yeah. you can't you can't solve these problems by talking to a chatbot. you can't solve these problems by you know not letting your voice be heard and so yeah. at the same time, the other person, you know, that when we do these investigations, yes, we do what we have called WorkShield certified attorneys. And so Brian, Brian, I met Brian, geez, um, you know, I've known each other for probably eight years and being a lawyer, he's a lawyer. It's a small circle. Um, I used to refer clients over to him. Uh, we became friends. We live in the same area in the same neighborhood. We know a lot of the same people. And I just went to him and said, hey, I have this crazy idea. Do you want to be a part of it? Um, this is what I'm looking for. These are kind of the financial metrics. Do you want to sit down and talk about it? And he said, I'm all in. He goes, I love it. And I'm like, okay, great. And so 
It's, it's an incident management portal and platform and technology platform. And we just bring in the right people to make sure that that voice is heard, not only from WorkShield standpoint, but also from the employer standpoint that the things are being investigated. Because I think that's really where a big difference is, is a lot of our quote unquote competitors, they have checklist. Hey, hey, HR, here's a checklist when you go do your investigation. Well, you and I both know and probably understand a checklist is not what you need. You need someone who actually knows what they're doing, knows how to do it, but also knows how to talk and listen. And yeah. that's where we bring uh, this kind of aspect to it of what makes them WorkShield certified. Well, they know how to listen and it's not an interrogation. It's not a deposition. Um, and even when we reach out to people and we people call us all the time and say, hey, I have this issue. Um, can you help me with it? And we're like, absolutely. Tell me your story. Help me understand what's going on. And so I think, you know, to answer your question, you know, with Brian, we've known each other. And again, it goes back to call it grace. You want to call it faith, um, call it destiny. There's a lot of things you can call it. Um, I, I, I tend to call it the Holy Spirit. He puts a lot of people in our lives um, from that perspective. But, you know, that being said, it's just kind of this whole nucleus of your surroundings that when you take a step back and look and, and you really put your mind to it, people are there to make sure you do the right thing. And so with Brian, we just talked about it and came on. And when the issues came in and the platform came in, and obviously we, we have a lot of different unique attributes to our platform and our process. Um, but Travis and Brian at the beginning were, were very instrumental um, to that. And I think that's where you, you have to understand. And the way I kind of put it is, you can't do everything alone. You got to know your strengths. You got to know your weakness. And what we talked about earlier about, hey, I may not be the best at this part, but I know what we can do, what we can put together. And then when it gets down the line, I know we're going to need to change this and we'll bring in the right people there. So it's it's been a fun, fun aspect. I, did that answer your question? I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, there's so much context around that that I'm interested in because there's, there's different phases of a business. And especially if you look at the beginning part of it, often looks much different, especially when those people I've interviewed that have, you know, the three, four, five, six years and beyond in their business already. I like to hear about the in kind of intro, how they started, how they got those things together. And now like what I'm curious about too, is going from that point of you're kind of, you kind of hack this thing together on your own. It's workable. It's obviously uh, does the job and you get your first initial customers. You talk to a few people, obviously people are loving this, then take me through then where it's at today in terms of where you stand, you've raised a few million dollars. At this point then today, what does this kind of uh, platform look like? How has it evolved? I'm curious. Yeah, so it's evolved very well. And I think we, we, we've we stayed focused on our true um, process, our true platform, which is how do we help employees and how do we help employers solve and address these issues? So we started basically just doing more sexual harassment born out of the Me Too movement. And yeah. I quickly realized we started getting more issues that were not necessarily sexual harassment. Yes, we got a bunch of issues that came in, but it started diving into, hey, there's a hostile work environment. Hey, I've, I've been discriminated against. And I just said, look, we got, we're expanding our services. We're doing all Title VII. We're doing age, race, gender, orientation. We're expanding. And so, you know, today where it is from beginning, we've expanded our services not to not just sexual harassment. We do all Title VII. We do Title, title IX uh, from a standpoint of K through 12 and, and higher ed based on the new DOE requirements um, that they put out. And then more importantly, we stay true to that aspect of being heard. And I will say, you know, again, going back to being lucky, um, we had a tailwind with Me Too. And we got another tailwind uh, here over the past six months and even COVID. And we've been very fortunate to where, yes, has COVID made an impact to our business? Absolutely. But we've adapted. But we've also been very lucky in the sense that we were in the right place at the right time. And that's opportunity. It's luck. It's keeping your head down. And so when we talk about the George Floyd and the BLM and LGBTQ and you know, I often say what happens in our workplace is just a microcosm of what's going on in society. It's it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Um, and it, and if you if an employer doesn't think that, 
then they're sorely misguided. Jared, with I mean, I, with, with all the experience that you have working with these issues, because this is exactly what your company deals with, this is exactly what WorkShield deals with, what can companies do or what should companies be thinking about in regards to protecting their people, their company, their culture, uh, just you have so much experience with this. I'm just curious at what should companies be thinking about or how should they be thinking through uh, these issues and making a great culture for their company? Yeah, sure. Well, first and foremost, um, it has to start with, there's kind of a three-step process. It has to start with making sure your employees' voices are heard. And, you know, we have a slogan of be heard at WorkShield, you know, hashtag be heard. And you have to give them first the the platform to be heard, whether that's, yes, we have a call center. Yes, we have a customized uh, portal uh, incident management uh, platform that you can come into and, and follow your incident. But you can say as an employer, hey, I, I do want your voice to be heard, but that's only step one. There's still two more steps to it. There's the investigation side of it. But you have to make sure that person, that employee, that individual, that human being that is being harassed or discriminated against, what they feel is being harassed or discriminated against. Yes, their voice is heard, but you have to make sure they feel and understand and know as soon as my voice is heard, this will be taken care of. There will be a clear path to that resolution. There will be someone on the other line that hears my voice, that hears the anxiety, that hears my, you know, I'm pissed off or I'm upset or I'm scared or, you know, why is this happening to me? And know when they hang up that phone that it's going to be taken care of. And so that's, that's a big step one. Step two is you have to be efficient. You have to be responsible. You have to be prompt. And so that comes with the investigation. And so, you know, with step two, having that investigative part to it um, of looking into those issues, you have to make sure you have the right resources and people to do that job. And I think this is where HR really gets a bum rap. You know, they're stuck within a rock and a hard place. And a lot yeah. of people say, I don't trust HR. Well, why is that? Well, because if I go to them or they get the issue, they probably know my manager or, you know, they go play golf with them or they, they go have cocktails with them or, you know, are they really going to be on my side? Are they really going to, you know, hear what I have to say? And so I think they, they get a bad rap. And so, you have to make sure you have the right people in place to do that investigation. And that's where WorkShield comes in, where we have those professionals. We have those WorkShield certified professionals to do those investigations to where, you know, look, if, if someone comes to me and says, hey, as you know, you know, your company has WorkShield, why'd you harass this person? I'm going to get real defensive. But if let's say you come to me and say, hey, Jared, you know, your company put on WorkShield. And they want to make sure every voice is heard. Tell us what happened. What's your story? Let us hear your voice. What is it? All of a sudden, I'm going to tell you everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what's going on. This is the way I look at it. So you have to have that process there. So that's step two. And it's important there where that's got to be prompt. So I'll give you some stats and data. Right now, imagine whether you're male or female, you've been harassed or you've been discriminated against. And you go to your manager and you say, hey, I feel like, you know, someone grabbed my booty or someone did this to me or harassed me or discriminated against me. Um, you go make a complaint. But you have to wait on average 25 days oh, for geez. it to resolved. What goes through your mind in those 25 days? You're you can't sleep. You're, if you're married, you know, your prob your spouse is going, what is wrong with you? What's happening? Talk to me. W what's going on? Can't they solve this? Can't they not? What, you know, do they really appreciate you? Do they value you as an employee? You know, what's happening here? Uh, and so that's where, when you have that reasonable and prompt, that's why we pride ourselves at WorkShield. Every time an issue comes in, on average, we get the whole thing done from start to finish in less than five days. And so imagine if it's on Monday, you file an incident and you know by Friday it's going to be resolved. What does that do to morale? What does that do to culture? What does that do to, hey, my employer hears me. They see me. They hear me. They know what's happening. They're going to take care of it and they're going to address it. And I don't have to wait until next month before I get any resolution to it.
And then the third part is making sure that resolution's in place. And that's where, you know, you look at the stories that are out there. I mean, they're, they're sad. They're really, really sad. And, you know, you hear about all these big cases, look at McDonald's, for example, or look at Ellen, the Ellen show. And that's the one place where people were going to be really, really happy. Right. <laughs> and right. they have a manager or supervisor, um, that either sweeps it under the rug, um, or they, they, they basically live in fear. And so that third part is making sure that resolution is there because what that does, it actually shows, and it's been interesting to see this, the moment word travels fast. If an employee files an incident, they feel like they're heard, it's done appropriately, it's done reasonably, it's done promptly, guess who they go and tell? All their employees, all their coworkers. Yeah. Yep. And now all of a sudden, hey, my employer cares about me. Well, what are the side effects of that? What are the byproducts of that? Well, it's major culture change and shift. And this is where, in my opinion, you know, you see a lot of companies hiring diversity, equality, and inclusion officers, DE&I officers. And I feel really bad for them um, from a sense of, are they being set up to fail? What are they doing? How are they driving? Diversity is easy. Inclusion is not. Equality is not. Yeah. But how, what, what are they using to drive those metrics? What are they, what, is it just a survey? Is it like, Hey, you know, what can we do better? Yes. Those are all great things, but I think we can all see today, if you want to make a change in your workplace from a DE and I perspective, from a inclusion perspective, from an equality perspective, even from diversity, you have to first give that voice a megaphone and make sure they're heard. But when you hear them, you better make sure you do something about it. And I think that's where a lot of employers are missing the mark. They say they're hearing them, but they're not doing anything about it. And that's where employers that we partner with, they're seeing this increase in culture. They're seeing this increase in productivity, uh, the decrease in absenteeism. Uh, they're seeing happier morale, uh, happier employees. And they're like, what's happening? Well, they feel safe. They feel secure because those bad actors, they're not there anymore. Jared, for some people, for whether it be founders of the companies or whoever's at the company or just thinking through what they can do, you mentioned resolving incidents. I mean, what are some of the resolutions you have to the uh, more common incidents you see or other, I mean, you've seen a variety over time, I'm sure, but I, I know people will be wondering, I'm definitely wondering, like, what, what are some of the resolutions? How do you close this in five days? I mean, what, what does that look like where someone feels good about the resolution? Uh, I'm curious about the resolution side of things. That's, that's a huge part of it, obviously, of what makes this thing work. That's right. And, you know, our resolutions uh, that we help employers provide it, it, there's a big, you know, variety of them. I'll put it that way. Um, there's some where, look, I think most people are good. Generally speaking, I think the majority of people are good. When they look in the mirror, they know how to do the right thing. And some people make mistakes. And you have to have this empathetic tone. You have to have this empathetic approach to it. So we've had stuff from, hey, look, that was a kind of a boneheaded thing to say. And, you know, you need to be more cognizant of what you say there. Uh, you, you, you know, you can't just have this unconscious bias type aspect and let's train you on that. Let's, so it's everything from having a conversation with them uh, to training all the way to termination um, to where an employee, look, you know, manager didn't promote uh, their employee because they had an affair, they broke up, uh, he was pissed. And so he didn't promote her. <laughs> and Jeez. you're, you're like, okay, to, you know, things of, look, we've had issues that came in where someone said, I feel like I'm being discriminated against because, um, I like Cool Ranch Doritos and they keep putting Fritos in the snack bin. And you're, <laughs> and you're like, okay, let's hear what that voice is. Tell us more about your story. Tell, why is that? Tell us more about what you're, what you're hearing about. Like, why is this? And come to find out, you know, granted, look, there's not a, a potato chip discrimination class, right? Um, from that perspective. But what, what we did find out was, hey, everybody in that group, no one liked Fritos. No one did. 
not one person. They all like <laughs> Cool Ranch Doritos or cheese Doritos or whatever the case is, right? <laughs> yeah. And that was an easy fix. Well, what do you think happened to that department when instead of piling up bags of Fritos for snacks, they actually had the snacks that they want? But more importantly, they kept telling their manager, hey, can we have something else? And it's just a small thing. And you and I both know sometimes it's death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. This was a very small issue. It changed. Their voice was heard. The company, was there any harassment or discrimination in this case? No, absolutely not. You know, but they felt like it was because their voice wasn't being heard. Now it was. Guess what happened to the productivity in that department? I'm sure improved. Improved. Their morale improved, the culture improved. And so this is where these solutions, you know, what's the resolution? It could be as simple as, hey, first and foremost, let's make sure your voice is heard. But second, let's look into the issue. And then third, let's make sure the resolution's there, whether that's, hey, no more Fritos for that department to, hey, you got a bad actor. You need to terminate them. And that's where in these cases, executives say, well, I didn't, I didn't know about this. This is the first time I found out about this. Well, guess what? When your manager or supervisor know about an issue and they sweep it under the rug, you as a company, you're, you're held liable because you didn't do anything about it. It doesn't matter if the executive knows about it. Did the manager or supervisor know about it? And then what did they do? And so that's where a lot of companies get in trouble. And so they have to have a solution that says, hey, the manager and supervisor, even HR, they, they're really not the right people to do the intake or the investigation, but they can also help with culture by making sure their employees feel safe and their voice is heard. Jared, taking a step back from from this kind of discussion around it, which I think is, is super helpful and really important for companies so they can actually take some actionable steps and even can consider working with WorkShield as well. Going back to the company side of it, you've raised like around $4 million uh, relatively recently. How did that impact what you were going to do moving forward with WorkShield? Sure. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll kind of give into it. And, you know, yeah, from the absolutely. beginning to, to where we are, you know, you have to make tough decisions in anything you do. And when we started the company, you know, I've been in companies where we raised capital before and it was bad money. It, I mean, you know, some people take money just to take money. And so, you know, I remember the day when we said, hey, we need to hire a, a PR firm, you know, and it was more than our mortgage, right, on a monthly basis, uh, mine and Jen's mortgage. And we said, hey, you know, we got to take the plunge. Let's do it because we both believed in it. And so we did it. And so we funded the company ourselves uh, up until the point where we started raising capital. And so once we raised capital, we had obviously a great client base. We had a more than just a minimal viable product. We had clients, we had revenue, we had revenue <laughs> stream, you know, and that's all from learning. That's all from those successful failures, right? Um, learning from those failures. So with the capital raise, we were very fortunate and very blessed that again, going back to people that are put into your life um, along your pathway. And so, you know, we, we had some great investors. Um, we raised the capital really to say, hey, what do we need to do to get our brand out there, to get our, our, our message out there? Because we feel like we are the only solution. And so with the capital raise, it's really about sales and marketing and increasing um, constantly our platform. But, you know, we're constantly making it better, you know, from a UI, UX, from a um, agile perspective, from an ability perspective, a scalable perspective. Um, because look, when you, when you bring on 10, 20, 30,000 lives at a time, you got to make sure your platform's great um, so that voice can be heard. And so with the capital, we were really lucky, got a great team, got a great foundational element. And we really looked at that capital raise as saying, hey, what do we need if we want to build the skyscraper? You know, sky's the limit, not just a little, you know, hut on the beach. Um, what do we need? And who, who can we partner with to make sure that we're successful, not only from a experience standpoint, from a obviously fundraising standpoint, uh, but also that we can call on. And so every one of our investors, I can call them today and say, hey, I need some I need some advice on this. What do you think about this? Um, we're we're going to go to this market. You know, what, what is your experience? Um, and I think that just comes from, you know, being able to look back and say, what did we learn? What did we not? And also, too, and I think you get this, 
you always make mistakes. It's just how quickly can you learn from them? And do you have the right people in your foundational element in your foundational team to say, Hey, you know, yeah, we made a mistake. We learned from it, but we're going to do it different this way. And we think it's going to be better. And so that's where I think is from our capital raise is, yeah, capital is capital, you know, money's money and it's, you got to be smart about it. We obviously got to be smart about what we spend it on. Uh, we got to be smart about how we deploy it from a resource perspective, from a sales perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a technology perspective. Um, and that's where you, that foundational element comes in. Jared, with, with that, getting to that point, even having traction to then get investment and going from the early days of the first initial people you, you had on board, I mean, what have you done from a, a sales marketing perspective to, to grow the company over the last you know, couple of years? Because uh, I mean, like I said, it is a solution that if you just look at from a high level, it's needed by a lot of different companies, every company in theory. What have you gone about doing then to, to spread the word to grow the company? Well, so we take a, a little bit different approach. Yes, we do go direct to employers. Employers sign up with us directly, but we partner. If you think, if you know the benefits kind of space, the PNC property and casualty benefit space. So we partner uh, with distributors. Um, so, you know, if you and I go try to get a million lives, we're sitting there going like, okay, we need to go get it by small companies or Walmart, <laughs> right? So, yeah, true. But how do we get access to those clients? And so, again, going back to what my knowledge was and being in the benefits and insurance industry and knowing a lot of people in those industries, they all have their relationships. And so you got to find the right distribution partners. So we we found the right distribution partners. We go through uh, consultants because if you're selling to HR, if you're going to sell to HR or risk manager or the CEO or CFO, they always say, hey, I need to bring in my consultant my HR consultant, my benefits consultant, my PNC consultant. Well, guess what? If you go to their client without going to them first, they're probably going to be a little upset. Does that make it right? No, of course not. But <laughs> they have the relationship. And so we've been very fortunate where we have great distribution partners that are distributing our product all across the country. Um, and it's the one to many relationship. And so, yes, there are some relationships we go directly, but that's through because our connections, for example. Um, because at the end of the day, just like we have to make sure every voice is heard, the HR department, their voice needs to be heard. Because a lot of times executives will say, I don't think we have any problems. But then they ask their HR and they're like, no, we have a lot more than what you think. <laughs> we have a lot of issues. And in fact, it, we just got one in yesterday. Um, yeah. And yeah. so we got to make sure every voice is heard. Uh, and that goes on both sides. And it seems like a smart way to obviously go about it. It's looking at leverage. I mean, where can you reach more people? It's going that that route. And I'm sure, like you said, you, are, you can go individual companies or ones that have more employees that would help you grow as well. But uh, finding those levers like that, like understanding that the consultants have access to more people, then gives you leverage to more. And that's even just thinking, I'm thinking of my own stuff with Just Go Grind. It's like getting access to uh, I know a bunch of investors, and so investors have portfolio companies. How do I get guests for the podcast? Well, investors can introduce me to their portfolio companies, and they have many portfolio companies. So it's like, who are those people that connect you to other people that then can help you grow whatever you're building? So I think for other entrepreneurs, thinking through that as you're expanding your business is a smart way to go about it, especially when you have limited resources, as we always do, Jared. Um, yeah, and right. <laughs> <laughs> And and with within WorkShield, uh, one more thing I'm curious about on the like people side of it is how have you gone about growing your team, building your team for WorkShield as you've gone through it? You know, again, um, fail successfully sometimes. And so, you know, going back to my other days of different companies I've started and uh, failed on or been successful at, you have to find the right people. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. It's really hard. And so sometimes you got to go with your gut. Sometimes you got to just, you know, say a prayer and be like, I hope this works. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've made, we made some mistakes and in, in some hiring stuff. We, we made some great success as well. Uh, I think we often call our team, we're small and mighty uh, and powerful. And so part of growing is realizing for, as an entrepreneur, and as even a CEO and a leader is you got to know where your weakness is and you got to make sure you have the right people around you that fill that hole, that complement that weakness in a sense of that's their, you know, you're, 
it may be your weakness, but it's their strength. Yeah. I think if you look at everybody on our team and, you know, we're just hiring two more people, um, they start in two weeks. Uh, one other starts next week. Another one starts in two weeks uh, from there. And so each one of those individuals, we see where as we scale and grow and we're getting bigger, there are certain things that need to happen. And yes, we're good at certain parts of it, but you know what? They're really good at this. And if we if we bring in the right people, our question is, does it allow us to scale appropriately? Or is this just a, oh, they're kind of cool. Let's see if it works out. No, it's it's a definite need. And you got to identify those needs. Um, you know, is there a rhyme or reason when you bring people on? You know, it's that age old question, chicken or the egg, which came first. <laughs> yeah. If you if you don't hire people and you scale too fast, you're going to fail. Um, but if you hire a bunch of people but don't scale fast enough, then you're going to make a lot of people upset, right? Because you got to let people go. And so there's a fine balance of that. And some of it, you have to, as a CEO and entrepreneur, you have to see what's in the future, see what's coming down the pipe and say, hey, this is where I think our needs are going to be. And um, we'll know pretty quick uh, as well. But, you know, you you do enough of that and experience. So we've really grown by making sure what's our need, what's our base. We have this small, mighty team to do what we need to do. Uh, but where are where are the places where we can improve? I don't call them really deficiencies. Where can we improve? Where can we get better? And do we have the right person in that place to make it better what we need? Or have they done a great job already? They just need help. And we need this person over here because this is the, the you know, a sub part of that area, whether it's marketing or technology or a CFO or CEO or legal or sales or client management, client success um, and saying, how do we get better? from there. So it's, I think for each person, it's going to be different. Yeah. I think if you take a step back and say, Hey, you know, it's funny, our, my CFO, um, Murray, he, <laughs> I love him to death. He's great. And I often say, Hey, you know, Murray, I'm like Swiss cheese. Everybody's like Swiss cheese. You got to recognize where that hole is and find someone that can come in there and make sure it's filled. And yeah, it was every, every entrepreneur is not going to have, <laughs> they're not going to have all the skill sets, right? I mean, there's no possible way. And that's kind of the name of the game, especially when you're starting even with understanding where are you the best at or where are you better at than others and how can you fill those needs to then make up for those those things that you, la you lack because there's going to be so many different areas of the business, whether it be on the sales and marketing side, whether it be on the product side. There's just so many things to think about in building a company and there's no one that has all the skill sets or has the time, even if they did have all the skill sets, to do everything. So you're always going to have to kind of hire out for that. And I think that's just an important thing to, to make note of. And and along the way here in the last number of years with, with growing WorkShield, even as your experience before, have there been any particular books that have been impactful, whether it be personal or professional? I, I'm a huge reader. And so I'm always looking for suggestions uh, as well. Brene Brown is awesome. Um, I think as a leader, as a CEO, um, you know, the Brene Brown books are really good. Um, I've often gone back to her book. There's a quote in there that I'll go back to, and it's about being in the arena. Um, you know, it's not whether you succeed or fail. It's the fact that you're actually in the arena. So just like you, you are in the arena as an entrepreneur, you are in that arena. You made that decision to get into that arena that everybody else is buying a ticket to go look. And deep down, they're either saying, gosh, how does he have the courage to get into that arena? How does she have the courage to get into that arena? Um, and so I think from a CEO, entrepreneur, leader standpoint, I think my wife and I kind of joke, we're like, all right, what would Brene Brown do on this one? How would she handle this <laughs> issue? How do I, how do I Brene Brown this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, that comes to mind. It's sitting on my desk uh, back in my yeah. office. Um, which is good, but I, you know, I often also go back to uh, Tom Brokaw had a book um, about the Greatest Generation, and that's one of my favorite books. And when I read when I read that book, and I go back to it, I look at it. Reminds me as an entrepreneur, we are in such a great age today. If you think about that generation, the Greatest Generation, and what they did with so little. If you go look in the mirror and you say, I have so much, I can accomplish great things because look at what they accomplished with so little. 
I think it kind of drives you to be like, what excuse do I have? I don't have an excuse. The only excuse is because I didn't do it. And so I, I think those are my, my two favorite books. And yeah, to your point, there are so many resources now. I mean, we we talked a little bit about being able to just build websites, build web apps, whatever it is, with no technical experience. And that's just one example. I mean, there's ways to do that to hire a, a global workforce very easily with other uh, other tools and other companies around. We have uh, your company itself, WorkShield, helping on the, the culture and HR and uh, that standpoint as well. There's just so many things out there as an entrepreneur to help you whether it be the community, whether it be the tools, whether it be the resources, it, it's kind of just a matter of doing it, just starting and taking that leap. And by no means is it easy, but there are definitely things out there to help you. And and Jared, I know we're out of time here. So where can people go to learn more about uh, WorkShield and all that you're doing? Sure. So they can go to our website, uh, workshield.com. Uh, they can do that. Or they can drop us a note at hello at workshield.com. Um, there's also our 1-800 number, they can go on our website and, and call that one as well. Um, or look, call me directly, 469-358-7673. Um, and I think that's uh, that's where people can go and find out about us and um, just kind of a, a parting thought um, just to make sure we understand is, you know, you said something earlier about entrepreneurs and, and, and leaders and, and kind of going through this process. Knowing that you cannot do everything is not a weakness. It's a strength. And the moment you realize that you cannot do everything and you find the right people that can fill those holes, that's a great show of strength and emotional intelligence as well. And so I think for entrepreneurs out there and those trying to build a company, grow a company, do this, look, nobody's perfect. And the moment you realize, hey, I'm not perfect and I know that and I know what I'm good at, let's figure it out. The faster you figure out what you're really good at, and the faster you figure out where you need help, I, you're going to smile a lot more. That's for sure. <laughs> Jared, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week. I deliver right to you. Justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.